and welcome back to Should Have Backed It, another late week Thursday drop for you. Time to have a chat to our punting and racing experts. We'll start with our punting expert, Phil Georgios, this week. Phil, how are you? G'day, John. G'day, Big V. Uh, excited about another show and looking forward to getting out to Flemington this weekend. Oh, of course, we'll have to get into that. And the Big V, Chris Fanuccio of a News Corp Racing Editor fame. How are you? Hello, John. Hello, Phil. It's uh, good to hear Phil going to Flemington this week. Couldn't get him last week to the Andrew Rams, and I think uh, Collingwood took priority, I think. As they should at the moment, mate. They're going pretty well. Yeah, bit of a bit of a tough clash for you there. All right, guys, we'll rip straight in. We'll go to should have backed it and should have stacked it. I'll start with you, Phil. Yeah, I'll go back to Flemington, um, to that me- meeting that Big V just mentioned. And my should have backed it, was in race three. I should say an honourable mention to Opal Ridge up there in Scone. That was a, a phenomenal win. But it was party for one in race three at Flemington. I'd been on this horse a couple times in its prep. It's already had or only had had one win from 18 starts leading into this race, but did start a $3 favourite. Had been getting a little bit too far back in its runs, I had thought, and was you know coming home steaming in for a third or fourth. But they ran it a bit handy at Flemington on this occasion. I think sat fourth or fifth. Did get stuck again halfway down the straight. It looked like it was going to be another hard luck story, but ended up pulling away from the field really impressively. So I was a bit sad, or not sad, I guess, but a bit disappointed to not uh, get on party for one. Uh, as for my should have sacked it, we'll stay at Flemington race six. And it's a bit harsh on the horse because it's had a fantastic prep and it goes really well down the Flemington Strait, but I had the Jumbuck as my should have sacked it. Uh, it's our time, won that race really impressively and, uh, you know, all, all hats off to them. But, yeah, just the Jumbuck at $2.35, I kind of looked back on that and thought maybe need to think of, rethink my strategy moving forward. Now that is not to John Buck's first appearance in the should have sacked it file on this show, so that's going to that's going to get a mention as well. Chris, what about you? I've made my should have backed at Opal Ridge, race eight at Scone. She was disappointing two starts back, then flopped again the start after that, but rediscovered her first up effort on firm ground. So I think she can be followed with confidence on good tracks. And my should have sacked it. I've made lethal thoughts at Flemington Race 5, possibly pulled up with a problem, although nothing was clear-cut in the stewards report. Blake Shin reported that he thought the horse might have had a throat issue, but that poor result came after a good last start win, and and this was a moderate race. So it might be a a bit tough, but I think um, the performance was uh, not quite what was expected. And, uh, John, I'll just jump in. Uh, it doesn't fit in our should have backed it or should have sacked it, but if we had another category, Quantico was just about the worst beat you'll ever see at Scone as well. And I, I feel like it, it is warrants a mention because I reckon a few of our listeners might have been on it and uh, still uh, licking their wounds after that one. Here I was thinking Scone was never going to get on your radar, Phil, but it's made, it's made the final cut. I forgot it was in New South Wales. Sounds like you're on Quantico yourself as well. Uh, there's a little bit of talking through your wallet on that one, Big V. I won't deny it. So we've got a couple of group ones to choose from in different parts of the country. It's a bit hard to start anywhere, but what must now be the best horse in the country. I'll let you comment on that, Phil, with Giga Kick winning the uh, the Dooman 10,000 up in up in uh, Dooman, funnily enough. 
Um, I'd say, dare say that's its last run for the for the for the season. I don't think that, that'll be going anywhere but the spelling paddock. But what did you make of it? Oh, look, definitely in the conversation as the best horse in Australia now. Maybe I wish I win, and its connections might have a an argument to put up there. But yeah, kind of won that Group One almost in in second gear. Giga Kick never looked like missing out. I know it's only won by half a length over. Uh, the impressive overpass, he keeps on doing well in these big races. But yeah, you just you if you're on it, and to be fair, I don't think you know at a dollar sixty-five, only the only the big guys probably were going too hard at Giga Kick. But yeah, it was an impressive win, and you know onwards and upwards for that horse, and fast becoming uh, a premier horse in Australia, and probably rightly the Everest favourite, albeit quite a few months out. Yeah, I think there was an end of prep run from Giga Kick, and. It was still good enough to win. I know it was only his fourth run of the preparation, but it's been a, a really high-intensity prep with the, the races that he's been contesting. There were there were a bit of questions about the quality of the field, but I think that might be underselling the three horses that finished behind Giga Kick. As Phil said, overpass was enormous. I think he went better than the, the quokka, than his quokka win, and he showed that that wasn't a a one-off performance since he's been gelded. Aft Cabin went well. I think next prep they'll focus on the sprints after he went to the, the mile during the autumn. I was disappointed with Valana, though. I was hoping to see maybe a bit more from him looking towards the Stradbroke. You, you, you could make an argument overpass would be in the conversation as one of the most underrated horses in Australia. Goes around at good odds every time it runs, and it, it rarely runs a bad race. Well, I think with Overpass having that gelding operation, he's had a big performance. I think his best is usually first up. So you you wanted to see that. You wanted to see him repeat that. So he's done it twice now, going from WA back to Sydney, uh, sorry, up to Queensland. And I think um, he's got to be in the conversation for the Everest. I know he performed you know, didn't perform that well in last year's race, but he looks like he's a better horse now. Now, the next Group 1 took place in Adelaide, and I did have some uh, feedback from the production crew. They had a very difficult decision last week ahead of the South Australian derby when they were editing the show. Did they want to get the entirety of Big V's commentary on the point of consumption tax, or did they want to get Phil's tip for the South Australian derby? Now, they went with the former... And I dare say that a horse that Phil liked in the South Australian Derby was paying about $15 at the time. Now, by the time it jumped, Dunkel paying about $6.50, which is still good. But, Phil, why don't you tell me what you what lick of the ice cream you had? I'm, I'm surprised the production uh, facility of, of Should Have Backed It hasn't been stormed this week, cause because two-thirds of the crew that's sitting here were on Dunkel, but the uh, one-third that wasn't was the one that, gave the tip for the race on our podcast so we might just have to work through our notes next time and make sure that we're a bit better aligned on our uh, on our on our input but yeah I, I was a big fan of Duncan. I actually thought at $11 which is what I got him at uh, was just an unbelievable price for a horse that had won four on the trot uh, prior to its ninth at Mooney Valley where, where it did pull up lame and yeah I couldn't believe the price and I was I was very confident getting on at that price, and it's ended up winning quite comfortably, pulling away from most of the field, or bar the second horse. And 
yeah, um, sorry to the listeners that we uh, weren't able just to spruik that. Maybe we need to get activate the uh, Twitter handle a little bit more aggressively in the future. Chris, is it starting to remind you, uh, Dunkel, of Explosive Jack from a year ago? Yeah, there's a, a little bit of that. No, but I was against Dunkel because I had he had that two month gap between runs, and it it was an unorthodox prep for the SA Derby. I think with uh, Explosive Jack. Even though he, he ran in a couple of derbies, he, he went to Sydney. So I think uh, coming out of that stronger race, whereas, you know, Dunkel was coming, you know, he had a few runs in Tasmania and you're not sure what the, you know, the form is like from that. But he was racing in a lot of slow tempo races, but still finding a way to win. But here he got a, a really strong tempo and I think he was able to show his best. And, yeah, I think that was a an outstanding, you know, training effort. Now, Chris, we're going to get you to keep your mic on for this. Uh, it's now your turn to talk us through the Andrew Ramston. The uh, listeners want to hear about the cat and the milk drinker. What have you got for us with uh, White Marlin's performance last Saturday? Well, I think, uh, well, obviously White Marlin has gone too fast here. At Pakenham, he went too slow. So I think he just needed to find somewhere in between. But I just think regardless of that, I still think Luna Flair wins based on the margin, even though White Marlin was beaten again at a short price, he still busted up the rest of the field. So he's finished second. He, he just got beat by one that was a lot, lot better. Phil, the Pakenham form no good? Well, I, I, Pakenham form usually stacks up, but on this occasion it actually did stack up because he also ran second. But White Marlin, uh, yeah, as Big V said, just went probably to touch too quick. I actually liked the the idea of going out and, you know, showing aggression um, in in the field. And and to, to Big V's point, still hung on to run second. So I actually thought it was a huge run. And a couple months' time, a lot can change. Uh, as Big V said, there'll be races and criteria that need to be met for him even to get into the race. But whatever tactic he used on on Saturday, Luna Flair was going was gonna to be able to get past him. So, uh, yeah, a long way to the Melbourne Cup, but yeah, certainly didn't lose too many supporters. I wouldn't have thought White Marlin based on that effort. Okay, boys, on to the issues of the week. There's a fair bit to talk about. We might be deferring a little bit of these until the future weeks. But the one uh, number one talking point in a racing context was the release in Victoria of the program for next year. It does come with flags of uh, prize money changes, but we don't at the time of recording know what they are. Uh, we just have heard a lot of speculation. Chris, I might start with you. Tell us firstly, uh, what are the standout points that you think uh, jump out at you about the calendar changes? And then we'll get the uh, your, your take on what might happen with the prize money. I was a bit surprised that they announced a second meeting for Good Friday. And I just don't under, understand why we need to have two meetings on the same day. I can only think that it could be for turnover purposes. Two years ago, we had no meeting on Good Friday. And now we've got the two. And, you know, when we've got workload and fatigue uh, issues at the moment, I just, um, I'm a bit surprised by that. And and um, just and also having the, the race at Yarra Valley, I just, I'm not sure that's, that's going to work as well. I think we had some, you know, good race at Geelong. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it's going to work at the, the Valley, at, at the Valley track. And just with the night meetings, I, I think that, We've only got the one extra night meeting, and that's because of the uh, that's the this Good Friday meeting. And I just I think that's the direction that Racing Victoria is going towards. I, I heard um, 
Matt Walsh or Matt Welsh talk about the the sweet spot for punting is after two pm into the the late afternoon evenings. I just think it's inevitable that we're going to see a lot more night meetings, and that's going to be tough for participants. So basically, to just to add to that for the context, so it looks like we're going to see a lot more Pakenham Thursday, Cranbourne Friday going into the future. That's going to be the plan during the early uh, autumn. And one other key point we left off there, um, Geelong has a standalone Saturday meeting in January as well. So they're the changes. Um, I will ask you guys about prize money, but Phil, I might get your real high-level take on, on all of those uh, changes, Good Friday, Geelong, standalone, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, as a lover of country racing, and we, on seasons before, have had our country racing segment, uh, I'm glad to see more racing happening in those areas. Um, and, you know, Packard and Cranbourne have great facilities and are a great night out at the races and, and usually are pretty well uh, frequented by, by the locals. So happy um, to see more of that. And, yeah, Geelong, likewise, in the middle of Jan, what a, what a great opportunity to get some people, but probably holiday makers down there in that area uh, out to the races. As for Good Friday, I'm a little bit agnostic on that. I'm pretty happy that a uh, a, uh, a course like Arrow Valley gets it, though. Obviously, Big V's never been out there for the races, probably just to grab a nice bottle of wine uh, in that particular region. But it's a beautiful racetrack, and they usually get a really big crowd out there. And I think giving sort of a lesser provincial course like that a standalone opportunity on a day where they might get some eyeballs uh, isn't the worst idea. So, yeah, overall, um, couldn't couldn't really uh, have too many issues with some of those changes. But, you know, as long as Big, as Big V said, the, the points around the participants have been taken into consideration, which no doubt they have, yeah, no, no particular concerns. And, yeah, look forward to seeing those meetings. What's your gut feel about prize money changes that are coming? Do you think that'll be applied at the Group 1s or at the Metro, Provincial or... Uh or at the grassroots level? Yeah, that's tough to say. I think it's, I reckon it's going to be um, the group ones. I think uh, maybe even the All-Star Mole as well. So I, I do think we're going to get some prize money reductions and, you know, not to get um, too deep into it, I, I I think we're going to see in uh, New South Wales some prize money increases, which will be interesting, whereas Racing Victoria will see some prize money decreases. And I just think the difference between the, the two jurisdictions is I is Racing New South Wales has more money to spend, whereas Racing Victoria have a, a lot of expenditure that their New South Wales counterparts don't have. I'm just glad we're not getting your views on the uh, changes to the big dance prize money, Big V. But from my perspective, uh, I think, you know, obviously diminishing prize money isn't a great result for the industry, but it might be a necessity given the, you know, tough economic times we're in. I saw in some of the discussion, though, that they're not going to look to move on the lower racing, sort of, you know, your maidens and benchmark racing, which I think is a good thing. Um, often, you know, some of the more uh, humble participants participate in those part of the industry and they're already doing it pretty tough. So reducing prize money in that segment, I think, would be to the detriment of the sport. Now, the other issue I want to discuss with you, but can get this for a while, and it never goes away because it happens every week. Adelaide Racing, they seem to be a bit lost with their programming. Um, we get Group 1s every week, but they've been patchy. I actually thought the derby was pretty good. I think the form will stack up okay out of that. But most of the Group 1 races they've had have been subpar this year. 
and crowds have been poor as well. Phil, I'll start with you. Do you rate Adelaide Racing? What's your what, what's your view on it? Is it relevant anymore? Well, we're we're seeing you know the 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 Goodwood this week, and we've got a great Group One field for that. And you know they do have some fantastic racing. I guess the issue for them is you know the the breadth of the industry there. The fields are often quite small. We do see a lot of relatively low benchmark racing on their Saturdays during the year, so they're really reliant on some of these bigger carnival events and you know we were out at Morfordville not too long ago and it's a great track not too far from the city easy to get to so you, you do wonder why they are struggling for crowds and you're seeing people turn out in droves for other events in Adelaide live golf is an example of that we saw the gather around there in the AFL so yeah it's obviously um Something about racing isn't attracting participants to the sport there. Um, you're probably not getting people to travel in for those major events like you do in Melbourne and other, in Sydney and other major carnivals, which, which probably doesn't help them. But, yeah, maybe some innovation or some collaborations needed there just to, you know, spruik the industry and get more people out to the races. Maybe a free tram won't help, wouldn't hurt either. Yeah, I think they should consider having a look at moving part of the carnival into the, the late spring, it's going to be pretty tricky. You've got to have that balancing act because I think the, the Oaks and the Derby probably are better where it is now or maybe, you know, in that late autumn, winter spot. But maybe you're, the races like the Robert Sangster and Goodwood and some of those other, you know, lower sprint, lower level sprint races might work well, you know, in the late spring after the you know, after Cup Week. All right. Well, whilst you guys are on the Goodwood, we'll we'll go to that next. So the uh, that is the Group One of the week in Adelaide, and we've got uh, the Doombin Cup in Queensland with Zaki running around there. I'll get each of you to tell me what your thoughts are on those two races, Phil. You first. I was very keen to find something at odds uh, in in the Goodwood, uh, and the best I could do was Zapateo, but it then then got and drawn the car park barrier seventeen, so. I couldn't possibly tip anyone into that. So <laughs> very boringly, and I'm sure Big V will double up on this settled on Lofty Strike, which is the favourite. I just couldn't look past it. I think it's definitely got the form over this particular field, and it, if it finds a spot in running, I think will be too good. Um, up in Brizzy, yeah, look, Zaki, $1.85, won't get me excited from a punting perspective, but I'd love to see him uh, win that race uh, after getting done in it, I believe, last year. Um, you know, we saw those horses in behind it, Huetor and uh, Zareg last start, and Big V might be spruiking a couple of those at odds, I would say. But for me, it'll be a watch race, uh, just given, I think, the dominance of Zaki, but not quite backable at that price for me. No, I'm sticking with Kalos in the Goodwood. I think he looks the one that has been spe- specifically set for this race. You know, he's just had that perfect build-up elevating each time with his wins and you know, I thought nine dollars was still a great price when the fields came out. I see that he's around that seven fifty eight dollar mark now. So I think he should be the second favourite. And in the Doombin Cup, well it's hard to tip against Zaki at the price, even though his figures aren't at the same level it was two years ago. But he's always find he still seems to find a way to win. However, I do think Weta and Zyrek are capable of turning the tables here and and I think Zyrek is, uh, you know, over the odds, you know, there wasn't much between him and Weta, and Weta's half the price. Well, there you go. We've, we've turned the tables, Big V. I've picked the favourite and you've picked a $9 pop, but I, I did do my best to find something for the punters there. Just just couldn't. 
Never thought I'd see the day. Well, there you go. Okay, so we're on to the final furlong, gents. Um, now, this week's final furlong, it relates to the demise or the mysterious disappearance of Glenn Munsey from our screen. Sky listeners will know him very well. Uh, the question I've got for each of you is which pundit, if they were to disappear in mysterious circumstances from the screens, which racing pundit would be uh, would sadden you the most? I, I do enjoy our friend David Gately, Gator, as a bit of a tipster. Um, only second to, of course, the big V in, in that space. And I don't mind a bit of Gareth Hall's work as well uh, out there. on. I believe he's gone to SEN track now um, previously on RSN. So there are a couple of the characters that I like to listen to and, and hear about their, their views on the, on the industry. I'd have to say Ron Duffersey. I enjoy listening to him. He's a great tipster, humorous, and he's got a, a lot of uh, good opinions on the sport. There you go. Well answered, boys. Well, thank you very much for that. Look, uh, getting a lot of momentum with the show. We're getting some interest from overseas as well, which we really should talk about at some point. But uh, thanks for joining us this week, guys. We'll look forward to wrapping up these group ones next week.